chapter 20. focused upon verses 11 through 18, but I'd like to begin reading at John 20, verse 1, as we hear the word of the Lord. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, She stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. God's holy word. Let's ask for God's blessing on it. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for your holy scriptures. We thank you, O Lord, that you have written them, you've inscribed them, and you've preserved them for our learning. We pray, Lord, that you would grant that we may hear them today, that we may learn them, that we may inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life in the risen Lord Jesus. We thank you for our Savior, we thank you for your sovereign spirit, and we look expectantly to you, our God. In Jesus' name, hear us. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in the Belgian Confession, Article 26, there's a 
remarkable statement. It's an article that speaks about the intercession of the Lord Jesus, that he is the God-man who's united the two natures, and he, he stands in between God and us as people. And so Christ is this mediator, and the article is impressing upon us the reality that he's all we need. We shouldn't be frightened by his majesty. We shouldn't turn aside to look for a different mediator. He's all we need. And then it says, For there is no creature either in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Or in the newer translation, For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves us more than Jesus does. We know Christ loves us. We thought on Good Friday about his death for us. He gave up his life. But what about on resurrection morning? Did Jesus give up on us? He might have. It's very obvious, isn't it, that the first Easter did not get off to a very good start. There was confusion. There was bewilderment. There was unbelief. There was despair. And even still today, none of us can say that we have perfectly lived in the light of Christ's resurrection. None of us can say that our lives have never given the sense to anyone that Christ is a dead or a helpless Savior still entombed. We don't always magnify the risen Jesus, do we? But what does Jesus do with us? How does Jesus deal with us? Did Jesus, who already suffered so much on Good Friday, did he on this resurrection morning shake his head in disgust that he throw up his arms and in despair at us a hopeless cause no but we find jesus here on this resurrection morning ministering in love and mercy that's what we see here jesus reaching out to rescue despairing mary and to lift her heart to the revelation that he lives So we look at John 20, verses 11 through 18 this morning. The first thing we see is Jesus challenging Mary's tears of despair. Mary is alone at the tomb here. Of course, when you read all the gospel accounts, it is apparent that people are coming and going to the tomb. But when you put it all together, what seems to have happened is this, that the women got up early in the morning and headed to the tomb. And from a distance, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Most of the women continued on, but Mary Magdalene ran back to go tell the disciples. And so Peter and John, when they hear the news, they go running to the tomb and they go in. And then they leave. And then Mary Magdalene reappears at the tomb, goes all the way to it now, and is standing there weeping. Her loving heart cannot endure the separation from the Jesus that she loves. She, remember, had a special bond with the Lord Jesus. She was the one out of whom Jesus had cast the seven demons. Her her life had been in bondage, and and Jesus had liberated her and given her new life, and, and she loved him deeply. She had been standing to observe Christ on the cross dying. She had been there in those moments when the disciples had fled and left Jesus. Mary is there, and now she's at the tomb. She's at the tomb. And there's depths of grief in her heart. She has been poignantly affected by her loss, and she has been longing to to be near this body of Jesus. You can imagine how it went to see the limp Jesus on the cross and then to, to have gone home on that Friday night and to have spent the Sabbath in mourning and in sorrow And just, she couldn't wait to get back to be near, to see, to touch Jesus. And now she's come to the tomb. And now, to make it all worse, the body of Jesus is missing. And she weeps. 
And as she weeps, she looks into the tomb and she sees two men in there and, and they ask her why she's weeping and, and what is her reply? No astonishment at the sight of angel faces, no, no wonderment at angel voices, but Mary says, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid them. She repeats what she had said to the disciples, only now it's more personal, not just they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him, verse 2. But now Mary says, verse 13, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary is consumed with Mary's grief, and she's blind with sorrow, and she longs to be near the dead body of Jesus. Then she turns and someone else is standing there. She doesn't recognize him. Mary is so set on finding the corpse that she cannot even contemplate that that this could be the living Lord Jesus. And now Jesus asks her, woman, why are you weeping? And now as the question comes a second time, we begin to get the impression here that it's not just a question, it's, it's a correction. Maybe some of you boys and girls at home this morning, you've had your parents ask you, why are you crying? That can be asked when you fall down and they, they say, well, why are you crying? What happened? Where does it hurt? Or it can be asked in a different way, right? Your parents could ask you, why are you crying? Which means you shouldn't be crying. Do you have a good reason to be crying? Well, Jesus is tender towards Mary, but he wants her to see that she doesn't actually have reason for weeping Mary has drawn her own conclusions that Jesus is dead. And so she's actually turning away from from the comfort that God would give her. It's a strange thing, isn't it, that we can be so taken with our preconceived thoughts that we are unable to receive the very comfort that the Lord holds out to us. And there's a tremendous irony here, irony in this passage, because Mary is weeping for the fact that she can't find a body, and yet if Mary could find the body, she would have infinite reason to weep. Isn't that remarkable? Mary just wants the corpse. She wants to sentimentalize the old relationship. She wants to remember. She wants to be close to the flesh of Jesus. But what if Mary had found the body at the tomb? What if Mary had gone to the tomb and just as she expected, she found the body there and and they had dealt with that body and wrapped it up and put the spices and all of that. Then what would Mary's life have looked like? If you could fast forward 20 years down the road or 40 years down the road or maybe 60 years down the road, would you see a little elderly woman hobbling out to the graveyard to sit there all day long crying and crying and crying with her wrinkled face? What if you could see a thousand years into the future? What would Mary's life be? What would our lives be? Jesus described it. Outer darkness, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's all that remains if, if Christ is still in a tomb. Because then sin is not paid for. If Christ is still under the curse of death, then it means that our sin has not been dealt with. It means that the debt is outstanding. It means that death still has power over us because sin and the curse still have power over us. But if we confess this morning that our destiny is that every tear will be wiped from our eyes and we will 
we will enjoy the pleasures at God's right hand forever, then aren't there some of our tears and certainly our despair that are out of place, just as Mary's were? We don't say that there should be no weeping in the Christian life, but 1 Thessalonians 4 says that we do not sorrow as the others who have no hope. Because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Woman, why are you weeping? That's a question that challenges all of us. It's easy to point at those who are completely unbelieving and reject this whole idea of Christ's resurrection as some fairy tale. But even within the community of believers in our own lives, we at times look a bit like Mary, don't we? Christ's correction here comes to everyone who in their grief and uncertainty still judge things from the perspective of death. And to judge from the perspective of death is to live as if Christ has not risen. It's to treat Jesus as if he were a memory, something to be sentimentalized. It's to treat even a Lord's Day when we commemorate the resurrection as if all of our family traditions or our fun things are, are what it's all about. And those are the things that sustain us. Mary wanted to sentimentalize the old relationship. We live at times as we need other comforts besides Christ, or as if Christ is a helpless Savior, we need to help him. If our comfort is something less than the risen Lord Jesus, then like Mary, we are, we're left searching among the graves. Maybe you saw that huge grave dug in New York, big trench, mass grave, with all the caskets stacked up down the length of that trench. All of our comforts outside of Christ are like those many caskets, aren't they? They are lifeless, dead comforts that cannot deliver. Remember, Psalm 115 says that the idol gods, the false gods, have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear. They have mouths that can't speak. They have hands that are helpless to help you. Mary goes looking for just that, doesn't she? For eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear, she wants to touch a dead body. But Psalm 115 says that those who trust in such gods become like them. If Mary had found a dead Jesus, then Mary's destiny was certain. She would spend eternity as a corpse. Dead. Dead gods produce dead worshipers. If Christ were entombed this morning, then all he could do is pull us into the tomb with him. Jesus asked Mary, not just woman, why are you weeping? But he says, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? What, what kind of a Jesus are you looking for? If anyone's visiting with us this morning, live streaming this, and you don't ordinarily go to church, can't really say maybe that you're a Christian. You just for some reason have happened to, to click and to join us this morning. That's a good question to be asked of each one of us. Whom are you seeking? Do you want a Jesus who can just bring you a little sentimentality? After all, it's Easter. Do you want a Jesus of your own imagination who has eyes that can't see your sin and ears that can't hear the words you've spoken? 
and a mouth that can't correct you or discover your faults? Or do you want the Jesus of Scripture? The only Jesus there is, the one who lives. Mary's solution is to get hold of the body, and she will take care of it. She says to Jesus, thinking him the gardener, just, just tell me if you've carried the body away, and, and I will take him away. And we might chuckle at Mary's ambition. She's going to pick up the body of Jesus and carry it away, she thinks. But she's treating Jesus as if he's the one in need of her help. He's the helpless Jesus who who needs her to do something. And there are people who treat Jesus that way, especially on Easter. In days when we were able to come together and worship, there are those who who come to church annually or semi-annually. They come on Easter to do a little something maybe for Jesus or to have a little nostalgia, a little sentimentality, or to give a little praise to the one who, who could have a little dignity from our voices. The scripture teaches us this morning that this Jesus doesn't exist. It's not a corpse in need of our help. Whom are you seeking? As long as the perspective of death rules in us, then we are enslaved to hopeless tears and joyless sorrows. But praise be to the living Jesus who calls his people out of the gloom of darkness. And that's the second thing we see here. Not just that Jesus challenges the tears of despair, but secondly, that he reveals the victory of his resurrection. The questions Jesus asks expose Mary, but they do not deliver Mary from her perspective. And Mary's words that pour forth show how entrapped she is. And if finding Jesus depended on Mary, then she would never have found him. If we were left to ourselves, we would forever be groping in the darkness, entrapped in our blindness. But the amazing thing about Easter is this, that as one writer puts it, Christ lives to find those who cannot find him. Christ lives to find those who cannot find him. Isn't this amazing that the Lord has his eye on Mary? He has come to the tomb. He will correct Mary. He will bring her to faith. We might be very impressed this morning at Mary's love, and Mary's love for Jesus is a wonderful thing because it is the evidence of the Spirit who has so bound Mary to Christ. But we ought not to be overly impressed with Mary's love, but we ought to be deeply impressed with Christ's love for Mary. We might be impressed with Mary's pursuit of Jesus, but we should be far more impressed with Christ's pursuit of Mary. Mary feels like she couldn't do without Jesus, but it's actually Jesus who won't do without Mary. He loves her. He loves his people. He died for us. And if we miss Jesus, he misses us the more. It's comforting and encouraging. Maybe this morning we feel like, like we're so entrapped in our death perspective or so bound and dependent upon our, our idol gods. And we find it hard to give them up and hard to transfer our allegiance and trust from these lifeless gods to Jesus alone. And the Lord would tell us to call out to him. He's the one who, able, who is able, who, who, who lives to find those who cannot find him. He comes to seek and to save the lost. Maybe this morning you're listening and it's so hard for me to believe that, that this is true, that he, he really arose from the dead. Cry out to Jesus. 
he lives to find us. What, what can Jesus do for blind eyes and an enslaved heart? For a person who can't recognize Jesus when he's standing three feet away? What can Jesus do with a person like that? Who reads the words of Scripture and reads the words of Scripture but cannot see Jesus? We see what Jesus can do. He can speak a word. Mary. Mary. With that one word, Jesus opens her eyes. Rabboni, my teacher. With that that one word, Christ awakens Mary. It's really a marvelous thing. Earlier, remember in the Gospel of John, we read that, passage where Christ describes himself as the good shepherd, John 10, the one who enters by the door, who's the shepherd of the sheep. John 10, 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. What up? Glorious illustration of that here. Jesus calls Mary and she recognizes the voice of her shepherd and she follows him out of her darkness into the joy of resurrection to know that he lives. What a patient teacher he is with Mary and all of his people. On this first Easter morning, Jesus finds not a a strong church living in faith on the promises of the word. Though Jesus had told his disciples he would die and rise again, but he finds a a really pathetic people, right? A people who are disillusioned and despairing and weeping and confused. And what does he do? He leads them out of darkness. Though Jesus has already done so much for Mary, he casts seven demons out of her, yet here he is again, prepared to set her free doesn't turn his back on Mary. He doesn't get angry with her. He's not short or harsh. Mary, Mary, it's me. This is how our Savior works. He is a Lord of mercy and a compassionate Savior, and he gives life. And if you see that, then you find comfort for your own salvation this morning because though Christ often exposes us and asks why we are weeping and he, 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 he shows to us our, our despairing and gloomy thoughts that they don't fit, but he doesn't leave us entrapped in our misery. He may uncover the shame of our tears and gloomy thoughts, but he, he doesn't desert us in bitterness. And so in our struggle to grab hold, even this morning, And to take hold of resurrection victory in the area of our life where right now we, if truth be told, we we are despairing. We are gloomy. Or in the area of our life where we, we think we have to do all of this. It depends on us, as Mary felt. It depended on her to find the body of Jesus. The comfort of the word this morning is take heart. Our Savior lives to make us know that he lives. He lives to bring us to the knowledge that he lives. You know, we talk about the resurrection of Christ is so essential because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then sin is not paid for, right? He has to be raised for our justification. 
But Christ also had to be raised in order to minister to us what he purchased for us at the cross. He had to live again to minister to us the grace and the salvation he secured. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what he's still doing today. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lives to teach us that he lives. And so we can take heart. And we can be comforted. And we can cry out to him. And we can pray as parents and grandparents for our little ones. That Christ would work in their hearts. And we can pray for those who've wandered from the church and lost their way. And we can pray for our neighbors that we think at times they're so foolish. Look at them. But... But so is Mary, and so are we. Jesus is able to call by name out of the gloom and to bring to the knowledge of life, his life. What a marvelous Savior. What a marvelous Savior indeed. And the only way to be saved is to have Jesus call us effectually, by his spirit, Mary, whatever our name is, to have the shepherd summon us to himself. And no one is saved apart from that. But Christ is willing. And he will hear all those who call out to him in truth. And then what happens? What happens to a life that was entombed, has now been called out of darkness to know the living Jesus, What does that life become? Well, notice finally that Jesus commissions the service of faith. We saw that he challenges the tears of despair. We saw that he reveals the victory of his resurrection. But then notice that he commissions a new service, the service of faith. Mary cries out, Rabboni, and apparently she apparently grabs hold of Jesus. And Jesus says to her in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. We can understand Mary's reaction. She has Jesus now. She never wants to lose him again. I'm never letting go. And Jesus is actually saying to her, you can't have me the way you're trying to have me. You, you want me in the old way as the relationship once was. But, but we have come to a new era. We have come to a new stage. I'm ascending to heaven from which I'll pour out the Spirit. And then you will have unbroken fellowship, deeper fellowship by the Spirit with God through me. But you can't hang on to me in the old way. A new day has dawned. So he's directing Mary to a new relationship. But then he says, But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Well, that's an amazing statement. Mary's to bring the news of Christ's resurrection. She who had been so confused and stumbling all over is now commissioned by Christ to go to the disciples who have been so confused and stumbling all over. And these are amazing things that Jesus says here with regard to his disciples. He wants Mary to go tell his disciples that he's ascending to the one who is his father, but he's also your father. J.C. Ryle writes, It was but three days before that they all had forsaken him shamefully and fled, his disciples. Yet this merciful master speaks as if all was forgiven and forgotten. His first thought is to bring back the wanderers, to bind up the wounds of their consciences, 
to reanimate their courage, to restore them to their former place. This was indeed a love that passes knowledge. To trust deserters, to show confidence in backsliders, was a compassion which man can hardly understand. So true is that word of David, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. This is an amazing thing. Go tell. Go tell my brethren. Go tell my brothers. Go tell those men, yes, the ones who deserted me, the ones who forsook me. Go tell them I'm ascending. To my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What I've accomplished on the cross, the reconciliation that I have achieved is for you. And I seek you. This is amazing. Jesus takes away all of our false comforts and he gives to us the greatest comfort in all of the world. And he sends Mary Magdalene to bring the news. To bring the news that Christ has accomplished reconciliation. He lives. Sin has been paid for. Justice of God satisfied. Peace is made between heaven and earth. My Father is your Father. My God is your God. And so we read verse 18. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Do you see what John does there? Now he uses her full name again. Ties it back into verse 1. In verse 1, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And she said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Now John says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. In the first instance, Mary goes running and says, they've taken his body. We don't know where he is. In the second instance, Mary comes running and saying, Jesus has taken himself out of the tomb. He's raised from the dead and we know where he is going. What a contrast. And to whom is it attributed but to the living Lord Jesus who has risen from the tomb and has risen, yes, also in her heart. The woman that was handcuffed to a tomb, is now set free. And the heavy steps of the gloomy Mary are now the light feet of the cheerful Mary. And the one who was sought by the Lord is now commissioned to seek others and now to run and say, he sought me. And now he seeks you too. The Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, is still about this business taking our gloomy hearts and revealing the life, power, victory of the resurrection, and then sending us forward with a task to announce that we in the word have seen the Lord. He has sought us, and now he seeks you too. May the Lord Jesus work in our hearts as the living Savior that he is, Until we are filled with confidence, our despair swept away, and we are compelled to run with the news. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the riches of your word and the riches of the victory of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that he will do what we can do, and surely what no human preacher can do, 
that Christ would minister himself to us, even by name. Father, let your spirit set before us the glory of the Savior. May the good shepherd speak our names and call us forth. May we be saved from that old perspective of death to run with the word of life. Oh God, do this for the glory of Christ until he comes. Amen.